It is so good to see you, family. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here, and I, I just want to thank you for being here, especially if uh, you're new. I hope that your experience has been pleasant, that you've been welcomed, and, and that you feel like this is a place that you could call home. Uh, before we get into the word, I just wanted to thank everyone who was involved with our Nerf games this, yesterday. Uh, we had somewhere around 200 people, maybe not quite 200 people come and uh, participate in sending projectiles into the air in the direction of other individuals for the sake of entertainment and fun and fellowship. And, you know, I was struck because there were some individuals there who, who they were new, and, and this was a moment that was, it was a solidifying and encouraging moment for them. And I, I was reflecting with my wife that when I think about the things that connect people to God and to church, I think of, you know, reading your Bible and praying and going to church. And these are things, they, they're legitimately true. It does connect you with God. But I just wanted to encourage you, family, that we do things like this. One, because we like to have a good time. We like to have fun. But another, because having fun in the context of community is something that, that makes us a people. And, and you know, I, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the disciples cutting up or making jokes or, you know, the, the things that they said, but you have to think that, that they had to blow off some steam at somehow. It was, they weren't just, you know, today we will go and with solemn faces do the ministry of God. It, they, these were, they, were, they were everyday people. And so I, I just wanted to thank all of you for participating in our everyday activity and, and engaging the community um, we had a lot of soccer players staring at us like a, which I thought was, initially I was like, yeah, that does make sense. We're on a field. It's weird. But it turns out that they do that on a weekly basis. So those kids need to get their attitudes right. Um, second of all, I just want to continue to encourage you, continue to, to consider if you haven't reading the Bible to this year on a consistent basis every day. Uh, we've got Bible reading plans that we've been talking about, and in February, we're going to be kicking off this fun um, uh, program. It's just going to be a way for us to reestablish all the Bible reading resolutions that we have failed to, <laughs> to, to move forward in. So February, we're going to call it 2020 Part 2, okay? So if you need a new, you know, I, I'm, I'm, if you're the kind of person who's like, well, I, I missed it, so I'm going to wait till 2021. No, 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 no. The sequel's... It's only a couple weeks away. And in all seriousness, you could start today. You don't have to wait till my sequel. But if you need that extra sociological push, we're going to bring it to you in February. So it's going to be fun. And hey, if you got other resolutions, throw them in as well and we'll try again. Well, we're, we're in this series where we're considering the mission of Grace Covenant Church. And, and if you were paying any attention, we talked about how the mission of Grace Covenant Church is to help everyone in our sphere of influence to experience Christ in a meaningful way, um, to encounter Christ in a meaningful way, and, and experience real community, biblical community, and then ultimately take what, what we receive through fellowship, through the word, through our encounter, and, and really help to extend this kingdom, sharing our faith with our coworkers and friends and family in the hopes that they would encounter Christ. And so today, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to, to have and to live and experience real biblical, gospel-centered community? What does it look like when a church community is shaped by the gospel? 
Now, if you've been in church long enough, you've seen churches, hopefully you've seen churches that have been shaped by the gospel. And maybe you've seen churches that have been shaped by tradition that's kind of separated from the gospel. Or alternatively, maybe you've been to weird churches that were not shaped by any sort of tradition and you're like, I don't even know if this is a church. There are a few of those in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I went to school, where you're like, this, I know you guys are saying this is a church, but I'm pretty sure this is not the kind of church that I'm allowed to go to. Um, I don't, you're not reading the same Bible, you're chanting, everyone's dressed weird. I think I ended up at the wrong place. But, but what does it look like, you know, if we really believe that the Bible And I do believe this, that the Bible gives us everything that we need. It's sufficient for life and faith and godliness. Then part of what we have to look at is, okay, what does the Bible, and specifically, what does the gospel say? What does God say about how this community of faith, this church body is is shaped and and is to exist? Not the building, not, not, not a cathedral versus a school, not, you know, that we're not talking about that. We're talking about the people who make up this body of faith. So we're going to read one verse out of Acts chapter, 30, uh, chapter 9, verse 31. And we're going to stand together as a, as a body, and we're going to speak the word of God. This is out of Acts, which is in the New Testament, chapter 9. It's one verse, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that, that you don't just leave us to our own individual personal faith, but that you call us to a community. That you've made us people who need relationship. God, you are a God who's existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, since before the foundations of the world in relationship, in community. And there's something about the kind of unified, loving, self-sacrificial community of the church that reflects the nature and character of you as our Trinitarian God. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see what it is that we ought to do, what our role is in this part, and what everyone else's role is as we try to, to be a community of faith that is shaped by the reality of your son's life, death, and resurrection for us. Help us to see, God, that you call us to something greater than just salvation, just um, get out of hell free card, but you call us to a community who's on mission. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Luke writes the book of Acts, and just so you know, Acts is kind of a, it's a part two of the book of Luke. So Luke writes his gospel, he writes to this guy, Theophilus, uh, we don't know if that's a person or if it's a, a group of people, Theophilus means lover of God, Theo, love, or uh, God, uh, Phyllis, like Philadelphia, um, uh, lover of God, no, you're right, I don't know what I'm saying, no, no, I'm right. Brotherly love is Philadelphia because Adelphos is brother. I know Greek, come on. Anyways, that's not the point. The point is that Acts is written by Luke. 
come on, guys. This is, this is my sermon. Uh, and so he's writing to Theophilus, and he's, he's giving an account. In Luke, he's giving an account of really the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in, in Acts, he gives an account of really the, the works of the Holy Spirit by and through the apostles. And so we see that the church continues to grow through the ministry of the apostles and other disciples. And there are these moments in the book of Acts where he says, you know, and then the church multiplied, or then the word of God, where the word of God really reflects the the word of God expressed in the church growing, grew and multiplied. And here again, we see this kind of punctilier moment where he pauses and he says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. So he's giving this account and he's, he's shaping, I mean, he's a historian, and as a historian, he's, he's interpreting history, and he's giving an account of, of the progress of this word of God, the gospel, throughout uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we need to stop before we get into any of the, the content and say, okay, what is he saying, so? So the church. He's saying, therefore, the church, da-da-da-da-da. So we need to understand what the so is. Right? We don't want to just jump in. And so just very quickly, I want to give some context. So refers back to everything that's preceded. And he does this again. If you read the book of, of Acts, uh, he'll have certain moments where he says so, and it's in reflection to all that's has, have happened before. So in chapter two, we see Pentecost. We see that the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus says, don't go and do any ministry until the Holy Spirit comes. In chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. They, they speak in tongues. Uh, and, and they're filled with power for ministry. The people around them think, oh, these guys are drunk and they're babbling. Peter, he preaches a, a sermon and says, no, these guys, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. He's never been to a college campus. He doesn't know that's possible. Um, and so he, he says, they're not drunk. They're, they're speaking in different languages. And he, he refers to an Old Testament passage and says, this Old Testament passage, I think in Joel, is, is what's happening. You know, your, your, young, men, your young men will speak uh, in different languages, and, and people are hearing the gospel, God being glorified in their own language. And th- these were Jews who had all come from, from what's called the dispersion, uh, different places where they had been dispersed throughout history. They've come back to Jerusalem, and, and they're hearing the gospel in their language. And so the gospel continues to grow. The church is established. But then some things happen. Th- there are signs and wonders that are being done by the apostles in, in a way of, of confirming their ministry, they're not just saying, hey, I'm an apostle, send me some money, I'm totally awesome. No, they're, they're, they're bringing people back from the dead, they're ministering to people, they're healing people, and as a result, people are believing the, the testimony that they're bringing. But not only that, they're also experiencing persecution. And you begin to hear about this guy, Saul, who we later learn is Paul, and, and how he and others are, these Jewish leaders are against what's called the way, the, really the, the Christian, the early Christian church. And so they begin to persecute them to the point that at one point they, they hear Stephen, who's just, he's just a servant in the house, and he's preaching this gospel and he's saying, you know, guys, from, and he preaches pretty much from Genesis to this point. And at every point he's like, you guys have been hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn, and, and the, God has, has sent his savior and you guys killed him. And they did not like that story. They did not think that was a good sermon. And so they killed him, which I'm so glad that that's not how we do things anymore. <laughs> but all joking aside, they're experiencing real persecution. 
And then in chapter 6, in, in addition, you have this dispute come up between um, the Greek-speaking uh, Christians. It is the Greek-speaking Jewish people who got saved and there are therefore Christians versus the Hebrew-speaking Jewish people who then got saved Christians. And so we had this distribution where the, the church was caring for their widows. That's, that's good religious work, James says. You know, care of widows and orphans, that's, that's, that's good. The problem was that, that some of them were not getting cared for in the way that, that others were, and it was, the difference was, was along ethnic and racial lines. And so the, the apostles were like, guys, come on, get the, figure this out. So they, they hire some, well, they don't hire, but they select some, some individuals who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're godly, and to oversee this, this ministry so that everyone will receive grace uh, and, and resources, not based on you know, who's from where or who speaks what, but based on the gospel, that we're all part of the, the, the church. And so this is where we find ourselves when Luke says, so. And so what does he say? He says, so, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, dot, dot, dot. Now, it's interesting that at this point, he's not really referred to the church in this way. He's said Judea, and he's talked about Samaria, and Galilee is another area. These are all areas of, of Israel, and, and um, if I'm not mistaken, Judea's on the bottom, Samaria's in the middle, Galilee's on top, but it's, it's, it's kind of a summation of all of these areas. And he says, the church throughout all of these areas has peace. And it's interesting that he has referred to the church in the context of these different locations. You see, the gospel community is going to do things and have an effect wherever it finds itself. And, and that effect is gonna, it's gonna work like leaven. If you put a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast inside dough, it's gonna spread throughout the dough. And if, if Israel's the dough, you know, Jesus' ministry started in Jerusalem and, and went out, and, and it's now reached Judea and Samaria and Galilee. The church was, was united by the gospel. Um, believers had been preaching where they were. Philip, he's, he's just one of the believers, one of these uh, uh, servants, one of the guys who was, who was serving the widows. He actually ends up in Samaria, and he preaches the gospel and brings the gospel to Samaria. So part of the reason that Judea, Samaria, and Galilee is on this list is because of this believer, Philip. And he's just a guy. If you're in this room and your name's Philip, you're just a guy. And you, you could be the Philip to a Samaria of Leesburg. It, it, he brought it where he was. And, and wherever you find yourself, God's not necessarily calling you to go be a minister to China, although he might. He, but first and foremost, he's calling you to be faithful where you are. Part of this gospel community is it's a community that engages wherever it finds itself. That's why I'm so thankful for this, this school because we have an opportunity by being in this school to engage this school. You know, we, we've had an opportunity to reach out to, to some of the administration and the teachers and staff, and so they're actually gonna come and, and have lunch with us at our, at our office in a couple weeks. And that's That's amazing. And that's not to say, you know, we're awesome, but it's to say that the gospel is awesome and it impacts where it lands. We, we cast out seed and the seed is sown and it grows up where it is. Being gospel-centered means that we'll preach the gospel where we are. Where are you? Are you in Leesburg? If you are, you're blessed. If you're, are you in Sterling? Great Falls? 
Chantilly, Centerville. I mean, we, we have a church body, a, a congregation in Chantilly that we're connected to, and, and we're doing ministry there as well. And there are Koreans in that area. And so we have a Korean congregation that we're ministering to. There's a, there's a lot of Hispanic and Latino there. And so we have a Latino congregation there. We're, we're trying to reach people. We're trying to create community wherever we find ourselves in whatever context, ethno-racial context that we find ourselves in. And I'm so thankful that in the same way that it was Judea, Samaria, and Samaria was filled with individuals, they were kind of considered half-breeds by the Jews, they're now being united by the gospel. Again, these, these dividing walls that uh, Paul would call it, dividing walls of hostility had, hostility had been broken down by the gospel. And if you look around, this church is fairly diverse. We have African-American people, white people, uh, Asian people, somewhere else people, South American people. I myself am a diverse person. My mom's Korean, my dad's white something. I don't know. And, and we have the privilege, because of this gospel message, that extends over these things that would normally divide, that breaks down divisions that would normally divide. We have the privilege of, of interacting with, loving, cherishing, serving one another in ways that we obviously otherwise would not. Where do you need to be sharing the word? Where have you been placed that you need to be sharing the word? You don't need to go on this mission trip to go share the word. You can just go to work. And be, be loving and kind and different and be salt-filled where you are. Tell people about what God has done for you. You don't have to be a, a theologian. You don't have to read systematic theology to, to tell people, this is who I was. I encountered God in Jesus Christ. I turned away from my sins and these were my sins. And I turned to him and this is how I am now. And then to actually live like that, not just say, now I'm totally awesome. And then be like, well, you're not actually totally awesome. <laughs> to live out... The life that God's called you to. This was a church that was united. A church that had engaged and understood. A community that had understood that they needed to engage the surrounding area. There was a responsibility there. And he says that that church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up. It had peace. Now this was not a peace that's devoid of, of problems. This is not a peace that's separated from troubles. Again, I just said, and in the previous chapter, it laid out the fact that Paul, Saul, had been persecuting. And not just like, hey guys, I'm going to take away your tax, uh, tax-free status. Or, hey guys, you know, you, you can't pray out loud in public. No, they stoned a man. Like, they took stones and they, they expelled the life out of him with those stones. Like, that's, that's serious business. I think sometimes we can, oh, they stoned, and, and it doesn't cross our minds. This was real persecution. We don't like what you believe, and therefore we are going to kill you. And yet, it says that they had peace. And we shouldn't be surprised, because how was the church established but by the death of Jesus Christ? Sometimes when we think about Christianity, we think, well, I know that Jesus experienced these things, but that's not for me. And we can never expect that the greatest leader in our organization is going to have a different experience from us. Now, the good news is that Jesus rose from the dead, and he's now living a glorious life on the right hand of the Father. And that part of that glory is, is promised to us, but, but we don't get there. We, there's no, there's no uh, skipping jail. There's no um, go-to-go, get $200. You don't have to go around the board. We have to go around the board. But the, the church community, nonetheless, was, 
was a, a church community of peace. As I mentioned, there was a dispute between the, the Greek-speaking believers and the, the Hebrew-speaking believers, and, and what's interesting is that the gospel brought them together. There was peace that was brought. There was reconciliation that was brought. These were individuals that likely would have not come together with different cultural backgrounds, different styles of worship, different um, habits, different foods. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't have come together except because the gospel had brought them together. The gospel brings peace. It brings a vertical peace, first of all. Right? In, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, alienated, separated from God, but God brings us together. And he unites us in Christ so that we're no longer separated from him. There's no longer this, this division with him, but we're brought together. And because of that, we're brought together with one another. You know, you, you look at the, the, the disciples, the 12 disciples, and these were not necessarily guys that, that would have hung out. You had a tax collector and devout Jews and a, and a sailor or a, a fisherman. I mean, these are not guys who are like, you know what, let's go hang out and play Xbox. No, they were not crossing paths. And Jesus did something very intentional by selecting different individuals from different areas and different situations and bringing them together. He was saying that this gospel transcends those things. It brought peace and reconciliation. Paul says that we're ambassadors of Christ and we minister reconciliation with God. When you go to work, when you hang out with your family, when you speak to your spouse or your loved one, you have an opportunity to bring reconciliation, to bring peace. It's not a peace that's defined by circumstance. It's a, pre, it's a peace that supersedes circumstance. It's not, we're not saying that we're ignoring difficulties. We're not ignoring differences, but we're saying that the gospel, it, it steps up and over those differences and says, despite these real differences, some of which are fine and good, your heritage, your background, much of that's good and we want to be thankful for those things. God has given those things as well. But the gospel says that even though we're different, we're not separate. They were brought together in peace. When we live like this, we, we're built up and experience gospel maturity. Look at the verse again with me. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. That word means it was being edified, encouraged, built up. We are being built up by this gospel. And what's neat is that the word there, it's in the passive. And if you remember, if you remember uh, English, passive means something is happening to the subject, right? They were being built up. Someone else is doing the building up, right? And that's God. See, the good news is that you don't have to do the building up. God has made a way, and we, if you, again, read the book of Acts, just skim through it, you see so many places where the word of God was doing something. The word of God was growing. The word of God was bearing fruit. The word of God is building us up. This is why we come to church on Sunday. This is why I study the Bible and try to bring it to you. I don't want to give you my own opinions. My own opinions aren't building you up. Eddie's personal thoughts on how you should do life mean nothing, but the word of God will build you up. It'll build you up personally, and it'll build us up corporately. Again, the word of God births something. That's why we exist. That's why we exist as an organization. Not a bunch of individuals who all, you know, personally, individually read the Bible and then personally and individually come to a church. No, we are, we're 
participating together. Now, you may not feel like this, and, and maybe you look at your neighbor, and I'm not participating with that guy. But and hopefully that's not the case. Um, <laughs> that's why we say shake hands, greet one another. Because we're participating in this. Part of, part of baptism that, that gets lost in the church sometimes, it's very much so, you know, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you're, you're raised with Christ, and that's true. That's the personal aspect of it. But another part of it is that when a person is baptized, they are saying, I am part of the body of Christ. I am knit into this community of faith. This is why we ask you to be members, not because we need you to have, you know, we need to have your information and, and for you to be on some sort of list that we're combing through and, you know, are they doing the things? That need? No, we want to know that you're part of the body. We want to love you as a member of the body. We're being built up. We have two jobs in the kingdom. We have one, it's to be a witness to Christ. And then two, it's to trust God to transform others. And sometimes we have it backwards. We don't want to witness to Christ. We want to tell people about what Jesus is doing because we're afraid that we can't change them. And the good and bad news is, friends, you can't change people. And if you're a parent, you know that. You're like, I'm trying to change this person through kind words and loving words and a spanky spoon and none of it's working. But we don't trick, this was so helpful to me in, in parenting. Someone came to me and says, um, you know, God has told you what to do. You do what you're told to do and trust God to make the change. Amen. And sometimes you're going to be laboring with a person. You're going to be sharing with a family member or friend. You're going to be praying for them. And you're going to think, I can't do this. And that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and part of, part of the push is God getting you to a place where you realize you're trying to do the wrong thing. And trying to get you at a place where you're on your knees trusting and saying, God, I can't do this. And he's like, finally. Yes, let's get to work now. He's building his church. We're faithful to share the gospel. You're responsible to be able to say, this is what God has done in my life. You're responsible to pray for people and to share the good news. You're responsible to hear the Holy Spirit saying, hey, speak up. Speak, be quiet, I don't want to talk to them. Speak up. I, I, was, at, um, <laughs> I was at this party uh, a, a while ago for one of my kids and it's a bunch of parents and it's all well and good it's like a thousand you know moms so I'm, I just kind of went over here I'm not trying to like hang out with a bunch of moms and the the parent who was throwing the party for their kid was a guy and so he comes over and and we talked briefly and and it was a good conversation part of me was like I, I don't want to and he's like what do you do and I was like I'm a pastor let's do this <laughs> but but I had, a, I had a responsibility in that moment to just to love this guy and to, to kind of tell him about what I did. And, and I did. And it was a great conversation. He's a nice guy. And we had a good conversation. But, but what I wasn't responsible for was to make sure that his heart changed in that moment. I mean, I'd love for him to, to receive Jesus or, you know, to grow in his relationship with God. Um, but that's, that's the trusting part. My part is to listen to the Holy Spirit and to respond. The church community was being built up. Not only that, it was growing and multiplying. And walking in the fear of the Lord, it says, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. These two complementary things were going on. They were walking in the fear of the Lord, and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think he presents those things because sometimes we can kind of get 
misaligned and either focused on one without the other. And so he, he says they were walking in the fear of the Lord. And that's kind of old school talk. And, and sometimes we say, well, he means awe and reverence and respect. And that's all true. But there's a kind of awe and reverence and respect that, that feels like fear. If you've ever handled a, a firearm, maybe you know, you, you've, you've gone to a shooting range or uh, you have you know, police officer friends or people in the army. My dad was in the army, um, and so he, he took me shooting one time. There's, there's an awe and respect when you hold a real gun. I've, I've hold, held toy guns as a kid. You grew up. It was still okay at the time. We have Nerf guns and things like that. But the moment you grab a real gun, rifle, whatever, there's a respect there because you realize this is not a game. This is not a toy. This... D- this could end horribly if I'm not careful. And when we think about Jesus, sometimes we think of, you know, meek and mild Jesus. He has a, a sheep on his, his shoulders, a lamb, he's got long flowing hair and beautiful features, never seen a day of work in his life. <laughs> but, but Jesus was a, he was a carpenter, he was a mason. He worked with stone. Not even just like, but he was, he was a tough guy. Not only that, he's the son of God. No, not only is he, you know, I'm a tough guy, you should... No, he's the son of God. And I, I often refer to this, but there's, there's a text in Revelation that talks about when Jesus comes back. And, and not to get weird, but he, it, it, he's described as coming back, you know, for his kingdom, on a white horse, which always symbolizes like victory and awesomeness, with the robe dipped in blood. And I don't know what that looks like or what that means, but anytime your enemy or a king or someone is, is wearing clothes that's been dipped in blood, don't mess with them. <laughs> Just don't. I don't care if you've been studying UFC or whatever. You're, no. No, that's not my preparation when I go to war. I'm going to dip my clothes in blood. He means bit, and then he has a sword that's coming out of it. He's got eyes that are afire. He is serious business. And we joke because I'm kind of presenting it in a silly way, but there's a seriousness there's a reality, there's a, there's a gravity to God. And we live in a culture that doesn't like gravity, doesn't like seriousness. We love memes and jokes and lightheartedness and escaping trouble. We love everything that says, okay, get away from the pain, ignore the pain, let's laugh about it, let's make fun of it, let's be sarcastic, let's be sardonic. And I, I mean, a lot of that describes me. But there's a moment that you have to say, you know what, God is God and I am not. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. And how does this practically work out in your life? God is not just your Savior. He is your Lord. There are some things that it's not okay to do. And it's not just like, I really wish you would stop doing that. No, it's wrong. It's bad. And it's not me saying it's bad. It's not, oh, he's really hyped up. Eddie needs to calm down. No, it's the God of the universe saying, don't do that. Don't live that way. Don't commit adultery. Don't hate your brother. Don't be mean. Do obey the words that I say in the way that I say them, when I say them. Don't read my Bible and say, I read what you said, and then forget it and don't do it. I so appreciate... um, Francis, Francis Chan's a pastor, and I'm just giving him credit. It doesn't matter. The point is, he, he talks about his kids, and he, he, said, he says, you know, when I go to my kids and I, I tell my daughter, go, go clean up your room. You know what I'm not happy about? Her coming to me 
an hour later, and I'm like, did, you do, did you clean your room? No, but I memorized your words. You said, don't clean, or go clean up your room. Yeah, I said that so you'd go do it. Not so that you'd go recite it to me. And sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, or we go to church and we're, I, I heard the things that you said. And what we don't understand is we're insulting God twice as much because we heard it and we said no. Implicitly. There's a fear that needs to accompany us. Now it's not a fear that's, that's overbearing or, or that we, we impose upon other people. We don't want to go to our outreaches and we didn't go to the Nerf games and say, there is a God and you need to fear him. No, we loved them. We loved the people who came. And, and there are people in your lives that, that your responsibility is to love them well. But when you walk, you need to walk in an understanding that you do have a master. You do have a Lord. I have a Lord. When I... When I'm unkind to my wife, I'm not just being unkind to her. I'm being disobedient to my God. And, and my, my struggle is not just with her. It's with God. This is why, why David, when, when he commits uh, adultery with Bathsheba, he writes Psalm 51 and he says, Against you only have I sinned. As, as bad as it was for Bathsheba and Uriah and, and all the things that he legitimately did wrong to them, it was with God that he had a problem because it was God who was his judge. God who was his Lord. They walked in fear, in, in trepidation, in, in gravity, in, in a seriousness that understood the lordship of God. But they also walked in, in an appreciation for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we're almost done, guys. We're running a little long. God doesn't just leave us with this kind of overhanging sense of, ooh, but he gave us his Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is described as a comforter, as a, as a helper. Jesus, looking at his disciples, says, guys, I'm gonna leave, but I'm not gonna leave you alone. You know, he, he, cared, he wasn't just saying the things that he was told to say. He was looking at his disciples, knowing that they were gonna be worried, that they were gonna be upset, that they were gonna be nervous, that they were gonna be confused. And he says, guys, you may not understand this right now, but my heart is broken for you, and, and I'm, I've made a way. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a comforter. Um, it, it says in, in, in Romans chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit, one of his primary jobs is, is to help us to experience this love of God. It says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God didn't want us just to know and read on paper that he loves us. He could have done that and that would have been fine. We could have just known the gospel and, and trusted, almost like uh, a loved one sending a letter from war. I love you, sweetheart. You send the letter, you receive the letter, you have the letter, you see, God loves me. No, but he, he wants us to experience that love in a real sort of warmth, appreciation, affection that grows up in our own heart. He wanted us to see and experience his presence. And so he gave us his Holy Spirit. So even as we consider, oh man, God is Lord, Jesus is Lord, I've messed up so much, we also have the Holy Spirit who says, and yet, my Father loves me. My Father loves me, and Jesus died for me. He, he wants to minister to each of you love. And I talked about the two sides of this. Sometimes we need more of the, oh, I need to walk in a, 
and a greater level of fear of the Lord and a level of awe. Other times we need to tap into the fact and remember, God's poured out his love on me. Holy Spirit, help me to experience that love. Sometimes we just need to sit and stop talking to God and just listen and hear him say, I love you. And sometimes we need to stop talking to God and justifying and saying, I'm sorry. The gospel community is under the lordship of Christ and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, all of this happening before a loving father. This, this is what Trinitarian life is like. This is why it's so much better to have a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit than just God. Because we get to experience the love of God by the Spirit as we walk behind the Son, who is our Lord, and we get to celebrate with our loving Father. These dimensions are deep and rich, and it's all God. The gospel shapes our community. Your experience of community should be shaped by this gospel. Now the reality is you come to church, you're gonna experience some things other than the gospel because people are people. I'm a person, you're a person, and sometimes we're gonna experience these divisions, but what God calls us to in texts like this is to remember what's brought us together. What brought us together was not the fact that we all like to listen to this kind of music. What brought us together is not the fact that, you know, I, I want something. I mean, maybe, that's, maybe that is what brought you here. Maybe you're like, you know, I don't like big churches or I don't like this kind of church or I don't like that kind of church. You know, I don't like it when the, the pastor wears a weird hat and a robe and you know, there's incense. And maybe that's what brought you here. And that's fine. But what should keep you here is an understanding that we together have been brought together by this gospel. By the fact that Jesus Christ died, rose again, defeating Satan and sin for a people. For people individually, but also for a people. We have peace, maturity, and growth when we embrace this gospel. And in Christ, you are called to be an integral part of this. And I just want to challenge you, have you taken part like you should? This is not, I mean, I'm not trying, I wasn't intending to turn this into a small group thing, but are you in a small group? Not just because that's what we do, but because that's one of the ways that we experience gospel community. And maybe you're like, I'm not in a small group. Are you in a service team where you can be in relationship with other people who are walking in the same direction as you? Are you, are you loving people in your neighborhood? Are you sharing this gospel with people in your neighborhood? Are you, are you walking in a fear of the Lord that, that calls you out on your sin and you, you, you have a short list? God, I, I did this, you repent and you move. We all continue to struggle with sin. That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not we're okay with that. If you become okay with your sin, that's where things get really problematic. If you're ever pressing forward, God is patient with that. You know, if you have a child who, who's learning to walk and just continues to stumble and fall, that's okay. You pick them up, they wear diapers, it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. But if you had a kid who, who's growing up and they just don't walk, that's a, that, that indicates a real problem. And if, if you're struggling in sin and you fall, but you get up and you repent and you're walking and you fall and you get up and repent, there, there's victory and there's growth in that. But if, if you're just sitting in your sin, you got a dirty diaper and you're not walking, that's a problem. You're not walking in the Lordship. And if you're in this room and you feel broken and beat and hurt, there's a love that God wants to minister to you. Not just a love that he wants to say, God loves you, 
I put it on a mug. But he wants you to experience that love both personally and in the context of community. And family, I just want to encourage you, be more loving than you think you need to be. Because there are going to be people here who look awesome. They look completely put together and on the inside they're crumbling. And, and I, I know that most of us are walking around and we're like, oh man, you know, I, my shoes are messed up. I almost got a hole in one of them. I got crazy stuff happening in my jacket and you know, I'm, I'm not who I was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. I, I cut myself when I was shaving. And, and you can think, oh, but you have, you have an opportunity to look around and realize that probably most everyone else feels that way too. And, and to look at someone and say, you look amazing. I'm so glad you're here. God loves you. That's our responsibility and that's our privilege. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have created us to be a community of faith. A community that, <clears throat> that is centered and shaped by the gospel, not by other things, but that transcends other things. And Lord, I pray for the individuals in this room who have been hurt by communities that have not walked in this kind of gospel-centeredness. Not to say we're better, not to say that we're, we've got uh, it's figured out, but I just, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit, that the love of God ministered by your Holy Spirit would be poured out on the individuals here who feel beat up because they haven't experienced this. If that's you, could you just raise your hand? I just wanna, I wanna see you and pray for you. Awesome, once your hand's up, you can just put it down. Just pray with me. Um, God, I thank you that, that loving gospel fellowship is available to me. And I pray that you would help me to do my part in being that kind of gospel fellowship to others. Now, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and my encouragement to you is that you could do that right now. Um, again, all you do is you turn away from the things that you've trusted to make yourself right, to make your life right. The things that you've tried to do to cover up all the things that you're, you're not proud of and you turn to Jesus, you trust in him. You trust in the fact that he died a, a death that we deserve to die, that he lived a life that we should have lived and he rose again defeating Satan, sin and death, offering eternal life, offering reconciliation, offering these things to us if we would trust in him. If that's you, can I pray for you? Would you raise your hand? Well, Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're good. And we thank you that you are making Grace Covenant Church Sterling a people who are shaped, who are transformed, and who reflect your gospel. Would you make us that people? Would you make us that people who change this area because of our love for you and our love for others? Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.